welcome welcome brother on behalf of heartfulness virtual training program and on behalf of all the sisters and brothers those who are present here welcome to this uh, wonderful session on the power of the heart utilizing the power of power for spiritual journey over to you brother thank you thank you for joining thank you uh... Many of you look a little bit stressed, so let me start with some humor. How many of you know what I am going to speak about? Just raise your hand. Or... Okay, let me share a good uh, joke, which I normally use in many sessions, but normally it always still finds a lot of resonance. Once a famous guru went to one of the places where he had been invited to speak, very highly paid guru, one of those corporate gurus. So he goes there and about 500 people there in the hall waiting to hear what he wants to speak. So he went and asked the question that I just now asked, how many of you know what I'm going to speak? So they all said, we don't know. He said, then I don't want to waste time with people who don't know what I'm speaking about. And then he left. All that money they had paid for him went uh, waste, but they were still keen on hearing to what he had to say. So they again booked another slot after a month, called him, and this time they're all very smart. They know what is going to come up. And as soon as the guru came, he asked the first question, the same thing. He said, how many of you know what I'm going to speak about? So everyone raised their hand, like some one, two sisters raised their hand said, I don't want to waste my time with people who know what I'm going to speak about. What am I going to share if you already know? And then he left. And now the crowd really got uh, vexed. I mean, they said, he's really a good speaker. We really need to listen to him. They again go there, pay whatever is the hefty charge, book him again. And this time they have a brainstorming session, uh, strategize and all that. And then when they come, they're very clear. Uh, they all split into two sides of the hall. And the guru was, as usual, predictably asked the question, how many of you know what I'm going to speak about? So half of them raised their hands on the right side, half of them on the left side kept their hands down. He said, good, all those who raised your hand knowing what I'm going to speak, please share the details with those who don't know. And then he went off. <laughs> now tell me how many of you know what I'm going to speak about? <laughs> <laughs> no answers, fine. Okay. Uh, the beautiful video that Brother uh, Mohandas played from Titanic that again brings me a classical question, the clash of the heart and the mind. And again, I will share a small quick joke once I shared with Charik Maharaj several years ago. There was this old man who had been married for a very long time and finally he uh, passes away. And being from the Christian tradition, they put him in a casket and preserve the body for a couple of days. And the service or the final funeral is set after one or two days. And the wife, uh, knowing what her husband really likes, spends a lot of time in making the best of the cakes that uh, he used to like when he was uh, alive. And the cake is uh, getting baked and relatives all have come, friends, circle, family circle, whatever. And suddenly this man sort of wakes up from the casket because he actually did not die. It's sort of gone into some kind of a semi-coma and he wakes up 
and somehow he manages to wriggle himself out of the casket. And as soon as he gets out of the casket, he's still not able to walk because you know hands are frozen and all that. So he just gets up, sort of crawls on the floor, but the smell of the favorite cake that he used to like, which is being made, pulls him into the kitchen where it's being made. And somehow the relatives are all busy. Nobody sees him getting out of the casket and moving out. And as he goes into the kitchen, suddenly her, his wife gets a shock. And then she turns to see that her husband is actually crawling and coming. And now the classical turn happens. Uh, as he comes and puts his uh, hand near the cake, she gives him a slap saying, uh, don't touch it, it's meant for the funeral. <laughs> because his, her mind said, you know, there is so much of efforts put in, the logic, the money spent, arranging the casket, the funeral expenses, the van, the setting. And this man wakes up, her heart says, oh my God, my husband has come. Her mind is saying, <laughs> not again. When Charity heard it for the first time, really had a hearty laugh. So I thought I would share that. This is a classical challenge I think the Titanic song had for all of us, where uh, perennially we are in a challenge. I mean, surrender happens only when finally heart uh, wins over the mind. And it is a perennial struggle. As they say, even in the higher regions, the ego takes a subtler form. And uh, the Ego takes subtler and subtler forms. I've been in the mission for about 29 years now. Had the chance to be with two masters and uh, met several senior preceptors who have spent a lot of time uh, knowing about what Sahil Marg is. They all said one thing, Prakash, as he in fact grows spiritually, it's almost impossible to know that you have ego. And that's what actually creates the biggest problem for us. We all think we have surrendered and our ego is so subtle. In fact, I don't want to quote name, but having been around uh, with the masters, many times they used to give names and say that uh, this person has all the capabilities to reach the highest level, but his subtle ego is preventing him from submitting himself to the master. None of the masters ever say they are the master. It is something I have personally observed. Not even in one single conversation uh, Chariji has ever said or Daji has ever said I am the master. They always consider themselves truly at the heart, not just uh, acting or whatever. Sincerely, when they see or when they talk about a master, they're always referring to their master. And Charity always used to, in fact, uh, one uh, relative of his who came from outside, who's not a practitioner, but he said, uh, whenever he spoke, he was saying, Master Babaji, Master Babaji, Maharaj, and all that. So he said, when they call you as master, then why are you responding? He said, they call me. For me, the name master is a placeholder. They call me Pachu, they call me Chari, they call me whatever nonsense, I don't care. It's a placeholder for me. For me, my master is always Babu Maharaj. I mean, that is the kind of uh, surrender that happens. And that can happen only when your subtle ego wins the war. And that is something, unfortunately, as you fly higher and higher, it's almost impossible to figure out whether you even have a subtle ego or not. It's so subtle that uh, it's like air in the rarefied atmosphere, as they say, you know, 20,000 feet and up. It's rare, but it is still not there. I mean, without it, you'll die, but uh, with it, it will still make you get bloated. It, it needs to be there, but it needs to operate through a higher force. And that is a challenge which always is going to be with us uh, 
throughout our life and uh, unfortunately we will never be in a position to tell certainly that uh, i have surrendered the moment the word i have surrendered comes in uh, the game is already lost who is this i that has surrendered the moment that i still exist there is no surrender i mean all these looks to be like word play uh, there is a famous uh, saying in tamil i'll just translate into english for the convenience of others it says the person who has achieved doesn't know the person who claims he has achieved has actually not achieved sonnavar kandadillai kandavar sonnadillai there is a saying in tamil say that actually it is a journey where even if you have an iota of uh, uh, desire so one of the reason talks to preceptors two years ago that he very clearly said even the desire for spiritual progress will stop you from entering central i mean it's it's uh, on one side they say you know keep the goal as the highest in term maxims they say the goal and achieve on the other side you are saying if the goal becomes a desire then what happens then for me it was sort of a revelation which i quoted in one of the other talks that uh, if goal is there can it be a desire too then this answer sort of came in one of the sittings for me that uh, for example i am traveling say from chennai to bangalore where crest is there and coming for a program i know where i am going to reach or rather where i want to reach which is whatever distance 350 400 kilometers from chennai the road i fixed the goal as having to reach uh, crest bangalore and i leave from chennai but the maximum vision i have is maybe 100 200 300 meters in daytime and if it is going to become nighttime obviously what happens is i am restricted to the length to which the headlights of the car can throw maybe 100 meters whatever so the focus is to reach the additional 100 meters that your car headlight is showing safely and the multiple multiples of 100 meters is what will take you to the goal so actually speaking once you are clear of the goal uh, what i felt in that sitting is uh, forget about the goal and that's not easy because in this world where you are continuously bombarded you are continuously bombarded uh, through social media through tv through newspapers everything is nothing but a temptation the same religious tools which are being used by religion and religion is not the sole proprietor of this uh, uh, twin edge sword of uh, temptation and fear it is being used by everybody with or without that knowledge who are around you and maybe sometimes you use it yourself for your children for example you say you don't study properly i will not get you this which is a fear or a threat or if you study well i'll get you this gadget which is a temptation so with or without our knowledge continuously we are into this cesspool or a whirlpool where we are stuck and that is conditioning us see a session like this many time people ask what is it that a session like this can offer me which the literature cannot offer there is everything in the literature there is nothing that i am going to say which is original so charaji maharaj once famously said in the presence of daji then that even a master cannot speak anything original it's all already been said and gone it just descends when it descends which is a shruti 
is it created by the master or was it already available? Even pranahuti, for example. Did Lalaji create pranahuti? Obviously not. It was already there. He brought it back and touched it up to suit the current needs. When Babaji introduced uh, cleaning, one of the questions which uh, came in one of the recent conversations with uh, Daddy in some informal topic, is cleaning unique to Sajmar? The kind of cleaning that we do is unique to Sajmar, but cleaning is not unique. We know of bodily cleaning. You look at many sanskars, they perform some kind of a ritual to get rid of, they call it as mental detoxification. If you look at mindfulness practice, they speak about uh, ways in which you can remove. They don't call it impressions or samskara. They just say that residue you remove or you remove your anger or moderate. They use various ways, but they all have had. So actually speaking that uh, the thought of progress itself, as I want to come back to that point of desire, that itself can become a big uh, bottleneck. And even in the talk that he recently said, uh, there are about 100 people who are waiting to knock and enter the central region. And he gave the disclaimers, what is likely to stop them? And uh, one thing maybe he didn't say it there for whatever reason is, uh, even the desire for progress, even the desire for spiritual progress. For example, uh, you come to know that you are in a given point, point two, point three, whatever. And then he says, I have been meditating for so long. And uh, I don't know if many of you remember, in 2015, uh, in Daji's uh, birthday in Tripur, uh, he was sharing one of his anecdotes in his uh, room, where he said he had joined the mission in 1976 or something like that. And in 1987 or 88, there was a preceptor conference in uh, Kurmet. And they were all asked to do a lot of work. Uh, reading the condition, position of people, and reporting back to Chariji Maharaj. And he said, uh, uh, Chariji gave me the case of a person to read. And surprisingly, I found out that this uh, lady was already in 12th point. She anytime could break into central region. And then he said, Prakash, surprising this uh, sister, she is not a volunteer, she is not a preceptor. She is not a functionary. You would not have seen her in Manapatam knocking at the door of Chariji Maharaj. She has come to Manapatam several times. She just used to stand there. When the gate opens for everyone, she'll come. She'll not even push her way saying, I'm here, please allow me to see. Nothing like that whatsoever. And yet, the progress was so much there. He gave the name and all that which is incidental. And he said, uh, Prakash, when I read that condition and confirmed with Chariji Maharaj, I was in point three. Imagine 1976 to 1987. <laughs> he said, I was in point three. I don't know whether he jokingly said it or seriously meant it. He said, I was in point three in 1987. I still remember my spiritual progress. And in one incident where I knew Charaji Maharaj confirmed my progress from one point to another. For me, it was a shock. For a second, it was a shock. I mean, so many years. <laughs> And he says, 90 days you can reach the goal. And he says, so many years I've been around. And is that all? And for a split second, I said, no, this is not correct. And then I went back to the mathematics. That freedom, uh, march to freedom talk that Daji gave in uh, France, where he speaks about uh, the number of years uh, that a soul can take to progress if it is able to meditate 24-7 on its own. 
And by the time you reach your mind region, reach about 789 point, technically you should have meditated for about 10 million years. Uh, roughly one crore years. Imagine, is it even possible? See, assuming that you live 120 years, you are able to meditate 120 years non-stop. What is the guarantee in the next life you'll continue to meditate when you die? You don't know. This is for your own self-effort. If you're able to meditate on your own without external support, I mean, after all, we have examples of Kabir who has reached one of the highest uh, level on his own. Even there, there are disputes that he did have a guru and he didn't have for so many claims. At least Arjun Maharaj Daji both are confirmed that Kabir, saying Kabir was someone who made progress on his own. What would be the case? Same is true for Swami Vivekananda. But how many of us can do that? And this brings us back to the question where I deviated from the making of the cake for the dead husband. The challenge perennially is the fight between mind and heart. Very famously, somewhere in mid-90s, we were going for a walk to the ashram, the new meditation hall, which was dedicated in 1999, was still being built. And uh, Charaji used to sit in one of the, uh, near the trees, not in front of his old cottage. And then he was talking, I want to say something, but no scientist will ever agree this. And then he went on to share his thesis of what whatever he felt. So for him, he said it came as a revelation that uh, physically, in the body of a human being, where the brain and where the heart originally were opposite. He said the heart was physically at the top where your uh, brain is. You can't exactly take it as a construct of just swapping physically, yeah? because we might have gone through several evolutionary process. But what he meant is, uh, technically for us to understand that the heart was even physically ruling over the brain, which is considered, though it is not true, the seat of your mind, though it is not the mind itself. Because we think and the thoughts are supposed to be coming from brain, I still have a lot of doubts on that. I'll pose a few questions the way I did last week when you watched that introduction video. So the, he said, later, because we lost touch with nature, the brain went up and the heart went down. It was difficult for us to believe. And then he shared another anecdote, uh, which is what we call as the power of perspectives, which will set the base for this uh, session. He said, what the brain cannot comprehend, the mind cannot believe. Very powerful statement. And then he went on to explain what it really meant, what the brain cannot comprehend, the mind cannot believe. He gave the example of the conquest of uh, the Europeans all over the globe in the 15th and 16th century, when they set out by boats, which was the only mode of uh, transport then. And they were just setting out to go everywhere to see what they can conquer. Their only idea was to explore. In the name of exploration, they wanted to conquer and spread their wings. And apparently one uh, sailor, I didn't remember, I don't remember the name, he had uh, taken about four or five boats full of uh, armed soldiers with whatever is the paraphernalia that is needed. And he had reached a island. And that island was inhabited by fierce warriors, very fierce warriors. 
but it was an island which had never been touched by anyone from outside till these people landed there and when they went there had the people in the island uh, known that this uh, ship or these ships are coming uh, they would have easily outnumbered and killed all of them because they were far superior but what happened with these people uh, without the knowledge is uh, till they reached the shore and landed on the shore the people did not even know that they are going to be attacked and by the time they realized uh, they all got defeated and these people took over and then jariji said the famous thing you know why it happened because they have never been in island they have never seen a boat in their lives so when a boat came they could not even differentiate what it was they didn't see it and then he gave another example of what happened once in south africa when he had gone for a uh, vacation part of that he had uh, for a mission tour and from there they had taken him to some uh, safari and there there was an example by one of the person who was conducting the safari was given uh, he had told them even if you are seated inside the car please do not bend down the windows even whatever even however close the lines come so apparently charles murray asked them, what is the logic behind this he said animals see only totality when they see a car huge car they don't see the occupants inside they see it as a total so it sees as something very large it will see as a predator which is bigger so they keep quiet but the moment you bring down the window they start seeing the smaller objects inside and then they see a prey and apparently one week or two weeks prior to charaji's visit apparently one tourist uh, van had gone inside and in spite of the caution somebody had brought it down to take a photograph and the line was seated like 30 40 feet away on the jungle and in less than couple of seconds god knows how it jumped took that person and went off and it was over he said uh, this is what happens because our brain has patterns and what the pattern it confirms and then he jokingly said look around there are about 200 souls here how many of you can see he either he said it jokingly or maybe he did say it seriously we all jokingly look around we couldn't see anything obviously because the brain has never seen a soul maybe we can see feel a soul for some of the technique what that is taught receptors for those who are in this group of receptors will know maybe there are uh, souls which come and some work has to be done you know how to do you're able to sense it and because the brain is not i would say prepared to see a pattern which it hasn't seen before your mind will never be able to comprehend and the biggest challenge or rather the advantage we have which we don't use is that the heart can sense it you will know the moment you enter your home or any place your mind doesn't say anything your heart says there is something happening here big happen i remember way back 8 uh, years back 2011 or 12 i had gone for a housewarming ceremony down south in tamil nadu and abhyas had called me to his home which had uh, been bought over recently after being built and when i started the sitting i immediately felt the presence of a lot of uh, souls from the past which are it to be disembodied souls as you would call i thought maybe i am imagining 
I opened my eyes, there was nothing there. There are a lot of empty chairs. Right? There were about 80 chairs they had put, only about 30, 40 people had come. When again I closed my eyes, I could feel the presence of different age, including certain uh, religious kind of, uh, uh, I would say, presence. And at the end of the sitting, I just called another preceptor to verify. Just to say, I said, would you mind just closing your eyes to check uh, what is happening? Maybe that acted as a clue. He also closed his eyes, sat for 10, 15 minutes, said, Maya, there is something seriously wrong here. I could feel tremendous pressure on my chest, which I didn't feel when I was sitting. He was part of the satsang. So later I asked the house owner, the Abhyasi who had built that house. We were staying there for the night and uh, the next day we were supposed to go. He said, go and inquire. So he went and inquired the person who had built the place. He said in this area about 100 years ago, there was a huge uh, uh, burial ground. And subsequently, they had shifted all the bodies and uh, they had constructed, they were using it as a paddy field. And uh, from whatever I had seen uh, in that city, even though when I talk about it, I literally get uh, goosebumps. But what I saw were souls which are hanging around for 100, 200, 300 years. It was like a small kingdom, there was an old lady, there was a small monarch, and they were all fighting for space. And actually, they were only crying for attention. As Daji always used to say, when they come, they come crying for attention. And we felt with a little bit of feeling, whatever technique we had taught me then, I you did it. And subsequently, of course, the BSC was not comfortable. Later, we vacated the house and went. But this, I don't think I would have ever been able to uh, smell it through my brain or my mind. Impossible. And this is precisely why repeatedly we always say that uh, we need to give. Uh, the key to the heart, not control to the heart, the key to the heart, let the heart decide what it wants. The perceptions I was speaking about, the power of perceptions. We perceive everything through a very limited knowledge, very, very limited knowledge. Like a famous uh, saint, Awayar, who said in Tamil, what we have learnt is hardly a few sand grains in the fist of our hand and what we haven't learned is the size of the universe. And yet every man, including myself when I'm speaking on this, that we speak as if we know everything, which is a fallacy. I mean, whenever I'm called, actually I felt very, I feel very humored <laughs> without any insult to anyone who's watching the program because it's like a one lakh kilometer race we are running, for example. And we have just crossed 100 meters. I am in 99th meter, you are in 96th meter. Doesn't make me any better than you. Anyway, the perceptions you have built, he has been with two masters. Maybe you know something more. He is a public speaker. I am very clear. What I know is literally nothing. And within this, I am just juggling around, presenting some information. And even that information I am presenting is a combination of some common sense. Uh, thankfully, I've developed a little bit of time, I hope so. And a lot whatever masters have said, which I'm just packaging back and giving it to you. The thought to finally, it's all about, now there is a famous uh, philosopher, considered the father of philosophy, a person called James Williams. I don't know how many of you ever read his works. One Chari Maharaj wanted to read his book. And it took us a lot of efforts to trace a copy and get it about 900 pages. And thankfully, now it's available free on the net. It came way back in 1875 or 1880, something like that. 
and he gave a very beautiful definition on our limited ability to think which was further corroborated by uh, albert einstein much later uh, james williams considered the father of philosophy he says in this book that uh, we confuse thinking with reorganization of thoughts beautiful very very poignant word we confuse thinking with reorganization of thoughts we think we are thinking actually he says that you are either reminiscing or you are contemplating you are reminiscing about the past wow i had a great experience you know last week when i was here or this session just i heard one hour back or you are contemplating what meal to have in the evening or to what car to buy or when to go to kana or whatever there's a recent video i watched of a, a sports coach international sports coach i spent a lot of time in that video also he said it is scientifically proven that almost 98% of the time for a normal human being is never spent in the present is never spent in the present you are either thinking of the past or you are thinking of the future thinking of the past could be either creating pain or it could be creating a sense of satisfaction or a pleasure thinking of the future could again be disbelief oh my god what if i die what if i have this disease what if covid attacks me or it is one of hope either positive or negative either the past or the future and he says in the present why we are unable to use the heart he beautifully said which he didn't say directly but for me it was a derivative in that 2% of the time is the only time when you can actually use your heart because to go to the past or to the future the heart doesn't have a visa the heart has a visa only for the present and unfortunately we have always been stamping our entry and exit visa through the mind which works either in the past or the future so when we hear master speak please use your heart how can you use your heart when you are already floating in mind back and forth back and forth back and forth we are either licking our past wounds like what the lions or some animal when they get hurt they just start licking we are mentally licking our wounds of oh my spouse did this last week she did not cook me this food or your spouse is saying there's a lovely sale which came and the gold prices are down this stupid man never bought anything it's always either in the past or in the future hoping that we now have only a very small home maybe we'll get a better home a bigger home a nice car or maybe i'll get into central region blah blah whatever so the spiritual or personal goals what happens in the process is where you can use your heart being the present which is less than 2% of the time in that 2% of the time your heart must be allowed to speak one of the famous talks just two years before his master samari charge maharaj when he was speaking in bhavji nadi ashram he said uh, the heart is so feeble it still talks to us when we are ready to listen but we are so busy occupied with the mind floating around we don't listen to it and in the process of not listening to it it loses interest i am going to be with you eternally i am not speaking here about the physical heart let's say when talking about the spiritual heart you want to call it the soul you want to call it your consciousness whatever you want to name for different sects different faith different beliefs have different words to call what this is 
when it is speaking you don't listen at some point it says okay fine we'll catch up later so what like babu maharaj famously said to somebody so what if he doesn't come back in his life after four five six seven lives he'll come back see when you're watching from beyond time time has no factor you're losing your body you're coming back you're losing your body you're coming back you're losing your body you're coming back this is what lord krishna says in gita also he repeatedly says the same thing you only take the mindful essence of it not the heartful essence he says uh, it's it's like changing clothes and we take comfort in that wow what a lovely cloth body i am wearing right now let me wear it while it lasts i look good my dresses are good i have a good family and by the time you realize time to change clothes body and based on the samskaras you have built up what happens in all probability is the next life you land up on the opposite maybe you land up as a beggar or whatever and again you are thinking of the clothes which is your body oh my god why am i suffering why is this happening and forgetting repeatedly imagine once uh, i was going through an airport this was like 15 20 years back and uh, one of the top most politicians of the country was uh, in the lounge just seated two seats next to me some i was not inspired to go and talk i left it so when i came out uh, of the flight and somebody who came to pick me past uh, oh he was in the same flight is it yeah he was in the same flight. did you go and speak and said i didn't feel like it so ask me why so even assuming i speak what am i going to do i want to ask him for a favor please help me with this please help me with that rather i would have preferred to go and tell him about uh, meditation or something like that but he was not inclined to listen because his mind was tuned to political powers and things like that the same though we are able to say it of others the same is true for us also so where are the question of coming back uh, to the power of the heart utilizing that power for spiritual journey it's like you have the let me give you another example without insulting anyone let's assume that you have assets worth 1000 crores in the bank against your name in some fixed deposits getting certain fixed interest but you are not even aware of this and you are begging on the road with a bowl in your hand for day to day food in that situation if somebody comes to know of this should they laugh at you or should they cry for you so normally whichever you answer you do it to yourself you have 1000 crores worth of deposit you are not aware i am giving you a material example because your mind connects to that the same is true for the heart a completely undiluted power to reach whatever you can after all when we take heartfulness to schools and colleges one of the standard examples we give them uh, during all our uh, sessions specifically to students is on goal setting and in goal setting we speak about uh, ambitious goals and aspirational goals i am very sure all of you know the difference which is there in all our textbooks just to give you just a rephrased shorter version an ambitious goal is about acquiring things i want to acquire a degree i want to get an asset i want to pay off a debt i want to go on a holiday 
I want to buy some dresses. I want to buy this latest phone gadget. Whatever. I want to flaunt, basically. Whereas aspirational goals are about becoming. I want to be the best uh, human being in this world. For example, it's an aspirational goal. There is nothing to acquire there. When we set aspirational goals with or without your knowledge, ambitious goals become a subset. I mean, every leader whom you can imagine, either in the material field or in the spiritual field or in the political field or in the sports field, whatever, everyone who has set an aspirational goal, you would have found out that if they had wanted, in many cases, for them it flew automatically into their kitty bag, as we say, Ambitious goals automatically become a subset. When I want to become, like there was a famous example Charity once said, if you want to climb Mount Everest, which is like 28,900 feet, whatever, your goal is something of the highest. As you cross the first 50, 100, 200, 300, 500 meters and go up, you'll find uh, diamond, you'll find rubies, you'll find pearls, you'll find gold. Would you like to be stuck to this? Or would you go up depending upon what your goal is? If you are a mountainer and if you want to reach Mount Everest top, would you stop with this? Like what happened to the famous uh, sage Narada in the story with uh, Vishnu. He wanted to know about uh, Samsara Sagara and then he just tells him, please go and get a glass of water. And you know the rest. He goes there, finds a beautiful woman and gets married as children and grows up and goes through and finally, he loses one after another. Finally, he gets his son or daughter on the, and then the river catches up. It comes right up to his nose. He's going to die, and then he shouts. And he wakes up instantly to find uh, Vishnu asking, Where is the glass of water? And all this happened for Narada in 100 years, whereas actually it was just less than a second. And he said, This is the effect of Samsara Sagra. Instead of you actually going through it, I created that illusion so that you learn it without having to actually go through the process. Because of his, he was a, a loving disciple of the Lord. The same is true for each and every one of us. In spite of me sharing all this, neither am I nor any one of you, in all probability, I don't know many of you, so I can't make the sweeping statement. In all probability, the moment the session is over, you're going to check for your tea or coffee with how much you get in it. <laughs> you are not going to go back and say my heart wants to become like my master let me die of thirst or hunger but I will meditate till to death it's all blah blah not going to happen let's forget it not happen at least as far as my 29 years I have seen I have also fasted things like that that was more from the material perspective of keeping me healthy uh, even that Ekadasi stuff and all that has come recently because Daji has been repeatedly talking though from Hindu tradition we all know it for ages so really speaking, that small window that we have, very, 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 very small window, one to two percent, where you are in the moment. And recently I read a scientific study, very interesting study, which said the moment has been measured to be something like 10 microseconds or something. Like that. Somebody said, and in that is the moment. Anything beyond is either the past or the future. A beautiful study. Maybe true, may not be true, but it made interesting reading. And the built together microseconds or milliseconds is what makes our life 
one Ritsim Karji was asking a question to Babaji Maharaj and he said, uh, how are you able to look at the past, present and future so easily? He said, Patsaji, it's so easy. Just look up above your head. So Karji apparently looked up. There were three large clouds. He said, that cloud is the past, this cloud is the present, that cloud is the future. So whichever I want to see, I see I am able to know. He said, you are cheating. I mean, something like that apparently said, you know, something like that you have told him. You are not teaching me what it is. But for the person who comes from beyond time and they know they come from there and they operate only through the heart. That's why unfortunately what happens in many of our interactions with the living masters. The biggest mistakes we make, I have seen many times Charity disillusion when he used to sit in the cottage. We used to ask him what happened. He said, this person has left the mission. He said, why? Three days I went for a walk. All the three days somehow I did not vision in the morning. For whatever reason, my mind was occupied. I was walking. I didn't see him. And he's a big functionary, preceptor, whatever. He, he just sent an email and went out of Chennai back to his place. You didn't even look at me. You don't like me. <laughs> I mean, imagine how we enslave our masters. After all, wishes, they don't come from the heart. The heart cannot have a wish. Heart can have only love. The wishes come from your mind, and the mind comes from the past to the future operatives. So even when we go to Kana, what happens? I have seen it many times happen, whether in Manapatram or in Kana. Whenever there is a very strong desire, I have to see him today. I have access to him. I want to talk to him. That is the day he will be very harsh on me. <laughs> He'll throw me out. He'll say, go and stand outside. Don't come into my room. Everything will happen. All the tamasha, many of you might have gone through also. Then I used to introspect. What did I do wrong today? Then I used to think. Then I said, my mind said, I am close to him. I have to see. I need to have lunch with him. I need to have coffee with him. I need to sit next to him. And when he gives a sitting, I must uh, be given this program. All this comes from the mind. Your heart doesn't know. Can your heart figure out and tell you what is progress? It doesn't. Because in the moment, there is no progress, there is no regression. No going back, no going forward. That is a pure magic, absolute pure magic time that you have when you are in the moment. But unfortunately, though I am giving you a long lecture on all this, I don't think I yet have mastered the concept. Except, as they say in management, when you don't know, you don't know. It's called as unconscious incompetence, ignorance. I don't know that I don't know. I have not taken my diabetes reading at all. I have never tested my blood sugar. So if I am diabetic, I don't even know. Which means I don't know that I don't know. The moment I take a sugar test, say in case it comes as I am type A, type B, whatever, at least now I know that I know that is slightly better. I have moved from unconscious incompetence to what we call as conscious incompetence. I know that I don't know. <laughs> that is slightly a better position to be in. What we do with it, it's... Uh, see, if you had seen the history of all those who are spiritually progressed, they had absolutely zero desire for progress. And desire for progress does not come from the heart. It comes only from the mind. Yet, we all have a big challenge. What are the big challenges? We need to find a way to blend both the mind 
ಅಂದ ಹಾಗೆ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಇಸ್ ನೀಡೆಡ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ದರ್ ಇಸ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಕಾಲ್ ಎಸ್ ಅ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಯು ನೀಡ್ ಟು ವರ್ಕ್ ವಿತ್ ಯು ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಅಂಡ್ ವಿಥೌಟ್ ದಿ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಫಾರ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಂಪಲ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಟೇಕ್ ದ ಕೇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಟು ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ ವಿತ್ ಬಟ್ ಆಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ಎಸ್ ದ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಇಸ್ ಕನ್ಸರ್ನ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಪಂಪಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೂಮೆಂಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಕನ್ಸಿಡರ್ಡ್ ವಿ ದ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಪವರ್ಫುಲ್ ಸೋರ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಎಲೆಕ್ಟ್ರೋ ಮ್ಯಾಗ್ನೆಟಿಕ್ ಎನರ್ಜಿ most powerful source of electromagnetic much for much more powerful than your brain in the human body and it produces the largest rhythmic electromagnetic field compared to any other organ it produces the maximum rhythmic electromagnetic field and it is said that it is 60 times greater in amplitude than the activity generated by your brain knowingly or unknowingly even through the physical realm nature has given you an organ that's why they say you can be brain dead for years you can come back but you can't live even for a few seconds when your physical organ or heart is gone it is also said heart as a muscle is the hardest working in the body it is said that it for roughly it pumps out about 71 grams of blood every heart beat every time you hear a lubbed up 2 ounces or 71 grams of blood are sent out in a day in a day i don't know how many of you are aware heart pumps out roughly 9450 liters of blood in one day water is a life span till now you have lived multiply to find how much work that organ has done this is repeatedly to show to us the importance of the heart both physical and spiritual the only to see what do we value most from a mind perspective we value the most which gives us the maximum return on investment or which gives us the maximum importance things like that it is said that in a normal human being who lives about 80 years the heart beats about 3 billion times in a person's life 3 billion times and there is no backup heart for lungs you have backup kidneys you have backup brains of course many of us don't need a backup so it doesn't work anyway so if you really look at it one single organ at a physical level it is such a wonder and no wonder that while meditation we keep the focus there because of the scientific reason many of us are i don't want to go too much into that and why is so much of focus on the physical heart so what i am right now sharing i would call as a personal journey the personal journey of a man embodied the soul embodied in the form of a human being and what would be the uh, exit date already affixed on our visa which god only knows or the master knows we are here and hence i always tell people when uh, in all my sessions uh, i don't know how many of you read the chakrad dr chakrad his columns two weeks ago he had sent a very beautiful self confessing article if any of you haven't subscribed you can have a look at the past issues in his website he very clearly said i was reflecting back on my life and i reflected back i was very happy with uh, 
the intellectual progress i had made the emotional connections i was able to make with my contacts with uh, my family members and all that i was very happy with the financial progress i had made but looking back i was very sad about the physical progress i have made because i have all kind of diseases i listed all those diseases and i neglected it because it is this vehicle which is the foundation of everything else what if you had died at the age of 10 or 15 or 20 we wouldn't have been able to and everything finally if we uh, really look at the physical construct of the body if your heart doesn't function well everything else automatically starts in some way degrading and hence assuming that i need to first find a teacher meditation teacher i have to do the sadhana i have to work even the slowest progress let's assume you need a window of about 25 30 years let's say i am not anywhere indirectly suggesting because i have been in the mission for 29 years and choosing this 25 to 30 years but just a number and if i haven't made sufficient progress while i am in this world and then i die because my heart doesn't function well because every organ not working hits the heart and heart not working hits all the other organs this is common science which though i am not a doctor i have read and many doctors have also mentioned this is true on a personal journey which must come and sort of converge with a spiritual journey the physical body is a must for spiritual growth hence when i speak about the power of the heart it is just not the power of the spiritual heart but the power of the physical heart to sustain and ensure that the body that he helps to carry is supported well so that in that short life whatever life period we live we are able to find lucky are the people like jesus christ and swami vivekananda who achieved all that at a young age spiritually and then went back we all don't know there are stories of several saints who have taken very very long time to really sort of reach wherever they reach for example sage vishwamitra to reach the stage of brahmarishi apparently he said he meditated for 10000 years continuously once in his life i don't know because our brain cannot comprehend or mind will not even accept so how is it possible to live for 10000 years because the brain cannot agree after all in whispers there is a mention of atlantis civilization having been there and that they were far ahead in terms of technology and concept you read your own ramayana how did lord ram come back from sri lanka after the conquest of uh, ravana he came by a pushpak viman and when we read it uh, long ago much before uh, the right brothers invented the flight we all laughed at it saying how is it possible but when they actually found it now we are able to link back maybe yes it was true there is one famous story which i have shared in one of my youtube videos uh, i have shared about 38 39 videos on a concept called dharma tales there in one of the uh, fights where karna or rather arjuna and lord krishna had to go out to retrieve something apparently they go through a black hole and this story is written in mahabharata uh, something like whenever it was written 5 10 20000 years ago 
they haven't described black hole as we call it as a black hole but they described it in their own way now if they are able to relate you find it's actually a black hole so how did these people have the knowledge in those days you can say one of the thing is maybe they were uh, living yogis where they through the power of the heart physical and both spiritual were able to utilize after all babaji maharaj in one of his past life when he was patanjali himself had codified ashtanga yoga precisely for this reason because he codified yama niyama asana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana and samadhi why it was needed that at a human level our heart does not waver much through which the mind doesn't waver much and hence the yama niyama came till such time the work of meditating and reaching the goal is to be achieved maybe he brought asana and pranayama so that we live a healthy life so those days we didn't have advanced medicines as we know today or maybe they had in ayurveda we don't know and then as he grew older you are able to withdraw your senses through pratyahara and you are able to develop a sense of concentration through which oneness of dhyana comes through which you retain the original condition or balance of samadhi for all this the physical heart is something that is needed if you look at uh, some of the work by heart math institute which babul maharaj quotes even in his whispers they had done extensive research to the extent now they are saying uh, which scientists also started believing and accepting that heart by itself has its own brain not the physical brain as we understand but it its own brain in some way and recently about a year back i read a beautiful thesis a very short abridged article and now they are confirming that the gut has its own brain now they are saying that humans have three brains but each of the brain works looks differently and works differently in other two they are more like cells and a field rather than a physical brain so the physical brain as we know which is stationed inside us skull is one the other is the heart based brain and then the gut based brain and fed they found out scientifically that some of the decisions made by the gut to process the food that is received to discrete or push the food out all those decisions are not even taken by the central brain it's like one of the hods under uh, uh, a large organization he takes his own decisions and then works they are saying that now the gut brain actually does much of the work uh, as far as the process to food is concerned which is a huge factory by itself so if you look at the personal journey there are several aspects that we need to digest and grow to ensure that what we use the spiritual heart becomes a sustainable uh, uh, a tool for our evolution for our spiritual journey and that again is a challenge many of us if you look at it uh, when i mentioned about ambitious goals and aspirational goals many time do we are dissuaded by the so called left brain what we call as a logic he did it so i have to do then did it so i have to do whereas the feeling which is of the heart which is what we are supposed to follow hopefully and but the window to that is available less than 2% of the time rest of the time we are valuing in pain or 
self-inflicted wounds, mental wounds, so many things. And once in a while, there is a sense of nice fragrance which comes with the smell and things like that. But predominantly, if you look at it, we are perennially struck in the fight between logic and feeling. And feeling because it's something that originates from the heart, as Babaji Maharaj mentioned. Whereas emotions, they say, come from amygdala, which is part of the brain. Whereas the root of the uh, emotions is from the heart, the true feeling. And we don't respect the feeling to a great extent. We are driven by emotions and logic, which is a deadly combination. Whereas feeling, which is more intuitive, which tells you all the time what is good for you, we have shut it without allowing it to talk. So if you really look at uh, the personal, physical self of the journey, which is highly essential that I preserve my physical heart, to utilize the power of the heart, to utilize it for my spiritual journey. It's a very difficult stuff. One mistake and you are done. If you look at that, we complicate our life all the time. Let's look at a person who is an excellent uh, footballer. And he uses his uh, right leg to score all the goals. Does it mean that he can take the left leg off and he'll be able to score goals because the left leg doesn't score a goal at all? Many of us, many a times, unfortunately, use our mind as our footballer who is using his right leg to score goals, thinking that it's like if your uh, mind is your moon, heart is like the sun. It's like the moon telling the heart or the sun that you are my competitor, please switch off yourself. I don't want to see you. What will happen to the mind? It will also switch off because after all, a uh, moon is nothing but a reflected glory. It cannot produce light by its own. It just shines by borrowed uh, light. The same is true for us. The mind which, based on some feeling which is generated as an emotion, which it captures, processes, and tells you to live life in a specific way, it takes over at some point of time. What would happen if the earth had only moon and no sun? We, we would have been finished off on this uh, earth plane in, uh, in a few, maybe a days or months, that's all. There won't be any food. There won't be life. We cannot sustain. We are the one who do not allow the brain or the field of the brain, which you can call it as a mind. Of course, it's very complicated subject. And we do not allow the heart to go ahead and give commands to the mind as to what it has to be done. And on top of this, we have emotional and cognitive baggages which come from your brain or the mind. Cognitive baggages which are prejudice, biases, hatred, and things like that based on caste, community, color, uh, uh, race, or the money that a person earns, the dresses that they wear. So, well, being prejudiced is so easy and comfortable. Uh, why waste time in finding what the person is and prejudice is so easy? and emotional baggages, which is what leads to many of the, the cognitive and emotional baggages is what stops the physical heart from cooperating with the spiritual heart in some way. In fact, it weakens the spiritual, uh, rather the physical heart. Because what tends to happen is that with so much of tension and stress, your heart doesn't function properly. And then imagine what happens. 
if you understand that the physical journey of the heart the physical heart is the one which is the most essential then we will be able to relate to find how it connects to the spiritual journey which is where the spiritual heart comes in there are several schools of thought and uh, i have heard charlie maras himself saying that the spiritual heart is the center of the the right side and uh, the physical heart is present and hence they have to coexist the spiritual journey though you might uh, belong to heartfulness or sadhana way of uh, practice the spiritual journey in this world is unique and intimate to each individual it is how you want to deepen the insights that you want about life on your own somebody have spiritual journeys by physically traveling some people have spiritual journey by going within by asking questions about life like what ramana maharishi did who am I? that one single question kept him busy for the rest of his life or you start meditating go into the deepest uh, portions of the heart and find the source and connect back whichever day whichever way it may be the spiritual journey of the spiritual heart is when either you know the purpose and go after it or you seek a purpose and then the spiritual heart in some way shows the purpose in life for you and once famously charlie maras told me of his in the cottage that just because you practice sadhana don't look down upon anybody else so maybe today we offer the the best of the system tomorrow we don't know what it's going to be somebody else might come up with some other better system so nature is very strange that's what he said and let's not though whispers repeatedly says that sadhmark is guaranteed a place up to mahapralaya it is still not possible to integrate everyone under one side that's why you repeatedly if you see daji is taking conscious steps to integrate so many sansthas and the only point he has been saying is that do whatever you want just please use the concept of pranam that's all he says the spiritual journey allows us to reconcile our purpose through enlightenment and depending upon what process you take for enlightenment it keeps changing from path to path person to person and the spiritual awakening into a dimension of reality which is beyond your ego this is what many spiritual pursuits offer where the reach of ego ends that's where the true spiritual journey begins because as long as you are confined to ego you want to call it maya you want to call it ego whatever you want to call it, you can still coil back and get embodied and come back the entire idea of any spiritual journey which is what every sansta says that's what lord krishna said is what jesus christ said in his own way love compassion mercy whatever be it they all speak about your ability to step beyond the ego it's like a booster rocket unless you are allowing the first and second stage rocket to let go portion of the rocket to let go the payload which is the satellite cannot be deposited in the orbit the same is true for the soul as long as we are not able to let go of the duality which is the first stage the heart region of the rocket the second stage being the uh, the second stage of the rocket being the ego itself if they don't detach and go off and that is not something that can be done through the process of thinking or mindfulness or 
saying that let me surrender by just doing like a japa or mantra you are not going to be in a position to do and there are uh, a few factors which stop the spiritual journey from happening for example guilt for example superstition and for example ignorance what is said unconscious incompetence many of us still don't know that the window that we have which uh, really comes if you really look at it Uh, the chinese are famously called it as the yin and the yang and they say that unless you are able to integrate the yin and the yang they call mind as the yang and they call heart as the yin if you are not able to integrate and blend the heart and the mind you will not be able to spiritually progress and for that the spiritual heart is something that we need to utilize correctly Let me share a few concluding thoughts before throwing it open for questions. Is there any? Then, as many preceptors and volunteers repeatedly talk everywhere, would the practice alone then help? Just the meditation, the cleaning, the prayer, being in a meditative state or constant remembrance—would that suffice? Daji repeatedly said in many of his talks, "All these are uh, tools in the hand of children." anybody can meditate not a big deal anybody who commits himself will get transgression after all once he come into the hands of a master the spiritual progress is in his hands as uh, charity once said in a talk in 1895 in bangalore after inaugurating the brother pr krishna's farm he said spiritual journey you don't bother the guru can take care the only thing he says is the same thing daji also says your attitude and character formation i can sort of keep on uh, saying that uh, i know everything i i am under sahaj mark my master will protect me all that would come to knots if we do not lalaji maharaj repeatedly said finally if you have to take a call between spirituality and morality i would rather place emphasis on morality more and morality is not of the mind morality is of the heart because once in a beautiful explanation charge mayor had said morality is about the right deployment of every resource neither one cent more nor one cent less so if you really look at uh, the uh, the power of the heart finally boiling down to it is about how you shape yourself and character formation cannot be shaped by the process of utilization of mind which is what 98% of our life is the mind is what takes you to the past and to the future true character formation which must lead to surrender and surrender happens without any knowledge can come only from 2% of the time that i have for myself which is maybe as you progress more and more to your ability to use your heart that's why our gurus repeatedly say be in constant remembrance or meditative state because in a meditative state you are in the present because there is no more i it's all only about them or him or the hierarchy so the real key the power of the heart as lalaji maharaj uh, wrote in truth uh, eternal and once in one of the sessions daji was explaining he said knowledge is useless and he apparently wondered what would have lalaji maharaj mentioned the knowledge is useless to say knowledge is useless you should acquire the knowledge understood deployed it before finally saying it's useless the same is true for everything that we have you ask a very rich man he will be going for a walk 
there is a whatsapp video which is floating around last week a very poor man you know initially buys a bicycle goes around sells some food items and then he buys a two wheeler and then he buys a car he becomes very rich this is a one and a half minute video in the last segment is again riding a cycle to get back his health <laughs> so we all go through this process we all know what it means true wisdom comes from learning from others experience is what our master said if you are able to use the heart by moving into a meditative state and meditative state cannot come by sheer practice alone it comes by altering our character and suiting it to the way in which our gurus would want it to be and the initial seed capital for that is 2% of your time assuming that we are all on the same plane like this experiment i read about 2% of the time is what you have uh, during your awakening time the rest 98% of the time is with the mind and that 2% of the time as you go in and expand like the camel and the rat story finally the tent has to be occupied by the camel the same way your life has to be occupied by the heart the day you are able to do it see for some the calling comes for lalaj maharaj apparently it happened in 7 months for saint kasturi is said it took maybe 8 9 years or whatever for each person who attains that level it takes their own time but that switch turning on is purely in your heart the day you are able to consciously or subconsciously or through the process of the heart give up that tiny little stuff to the guru the true power of the heart in utilizing that power for spiritual journey happens thank you for this and if there are any questions i can take it from you i hope exactly it took about an hour dr ingde thank you thank you uh, brother prakash i think uh, wonderfully has brought this whole talk to an end with the concept of uh, you know taking care of our day to day life taking care of our present and the concept of submission and uh, the spiritual journey with the help of spiritual heart where how to how we can shape ourselves so overall uh, brother has really made us to walk through we started with the nice jokes and then literally brought us to a point where what is the role of ego what happens with it and the concept of clarity of goal and the concept how the aspect of uh, progress in spirituality that takes place examples from lalaji maharaj pavji maharaj charji maharaj and the present masters uh, you know literature and his association examples which he mentioned and uh, concept of how we can uh, zero down our desire and then make this vehicle like you know uh, the especially the physical uh, cell uh, more conducive for the purpose of the journey and uh, uh, certain aspect about uh, desires which you mentioned even the desire for the spiritual progress itself could be a kind of obstacle so thank you very much brother <clears throat> for joining us and it was wonderful like you have really uh, 
made us to walk through the whole process of power of the art, utilizing that power for our spiritual journey and making us more and more understand because uh, the concept which we mentioned about the concept of I know and which I don't know. So that is, I think, where I think the concept of ignorance that comes in. So really helped us to you know, make us understand these aspects. I think uh, uh, the, the explanations were very apt to the point. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much on behalf of all, all brothers and sisters who are present here. And on behalf of Heartfulness Citizen Center, we thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, it has been a wonderful experience for me too. So many times when I speak, I also realize a few things I never understood before. So more than you, I have also co-traveled with you in this talk to understand some of the perspective. But surprisingly, many of the points which I originally wrote to talk, I never spoke. Something else came from the heart and that's what I actually spoke. And in it was a wonderful location. Dr. Hegde has promised to give me a recording and I'll upload onto my channel later and share the uh, link to all of you. Thanks once again if I have been able to contribute in some way to awaken the spirit of the heart in you. My job is done. Thanks a lot. Welcome. Thank you.